by Alexa Raleigh? Then get ready, lady listeners, because we got the follow-up. Stuffed. Amber works as a cocktail waitress because she's desperate for the money, but when she's offered more in the VIP lounge, there are things that she won't do for cash, right? A bachelor party in Vegas is the last place Rogue wants to be, but when the cute cocktail waitress gives him sass, there's no way he can turn down the challenge. Getting her alone is only a matter of money, but how much will it take? Warning, can something so hot and fast really turn into a happily ever after? Grab Stuffed and see if he can make it fit. (laughs) That's Stuffed coming this Friday, September 4th, and we'll see you ladies in just a second. Hi, lady listeners. What's up, lady DJs? Let's do it. (laughs) It feels like a Monday on a Tuesday. But this is playing on a Monday, so I guess it's good. <laughs> it fits with the theme this week. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Tracy Lauren Week on the podcast. Uh, we're really excited. Tracy Lauren was recommended to us by Eagle. Yes, our amazing she, editor. She, our editor. And she um, she said, just trust me. So I was like, well, I'll just email her to and- <laughs> <laughs> Great, I'll email her yeah. right this Eagle. second. Yeah. Eagle has not led us astray right before. So she she, she edits all her stuff. You can find her at aquilling aquila a q u i l a dot com. You can look her up that way. She has uh, Instagram. You can look on there too if you want to hire her. She's awesome. She doesn't have room though, so don't. You better pony up. Yeah, but like <laughs> pay <I'm> double. Just... <laughs> Tell her you'll pay double. <laughs> don't yeah. Don't, don't take our spots. Um, that's all. Blo- don't cost us. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Tracy Lauren is a loving wife to her gorgeous and deliciously odd husband, Greg, and a dedicated mother to her two wonderful children. She has her MS in clinical counseling psychology, and during her time as a therapist, she provided counseling services specializing in grief and trauma, as well as attachment-focused parenting. Oh, wow. She's now... I know. I hate when... It's so rude when people are more accomplished than you. <laughs> I was just like, shit, I didn't mess with her. It's so rude. <laughs> so rude. <laughs> She's now taking time off from her career to focus on her family and explore life as an indie author. Tracy's interests have always been in the human experience, and in her writing, she aims to capture just that. If you love the thrill of adventure to go with your science fiction romance, then Tracy's books are for you. She can be contacted at tracywritesromance at gmail.com. That's awesome. So that's wow. awesome. So she just, she. We've had some really smart people. I know. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> What's happening? I know. Like last year we had, like, we, or last The we, doctor. We had, uh, Daniel yeah. Al- Daniel Allen Daniel was well. like, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. PhD. Mm-hmm. It's intimidating, guys. Slow it down. <laughs> okay, Lex Rally's next. <laughs> We're going to bring it back down to earth. Your hosts are next. Yeah. Okay, so I have to tell you guys something. Um, that I okay. like, I've been saving it to tell you since it happened. So on um, Friday, I was having a really tough day and I was texting my husband and he was at work and um, he comes home and he's like, I got you a hotel room. And I was like, what did I do? And he was <laughs> like, I got you a room tomorrow. You check in at noon. And he was like, just go. And I was like, I got really sick to my stomach and I was like, are you mad at me? 
And he's like, no, you just need a break. He's like, you know, and I told you guys uh, last week after we finished recording, I told you about um, my kids went back to school. And so, and it was really, really difficult. There was a lot of mom judgment about um, my decision to send my kids back to school because we had the choice here if you wanted to do virtual or if you wanted to do in person. And there were um, several people who like said things to me, like actually said things out loud, which was really hard to hear, especially um, with everything going on. Like the last thing you want right now is to be criticized for your parenting choices because it's really fucking difficult. And, you know, nobody is thinks they're making the right decision. No matter what decision that is, we all think we fucked up. So, you know, just having those extra voices really sucks. So. My kids went back to school last week and it was, you know, really stressful just worrying about them and managing schedules and, and everything else. And I was happy to be back in the swing of things with, at work-wise, but the rest of it was just really, really difficult. And I guess in that instance, uh, apparently my husband saw that I was like on the edge where he's like, you know what she needs to leave. <laughs> so like he told me, he got me this hotel room and it was immediately like followed by guilt. I don't know why, like, why do we all of a sudden go to, I'm not doing enough. I'm not managing well. I've obviously, you know, lost my shit several times this week enough to where he's like, oh yeah, she's got to leave this house. I was just thinking how I would react if my husband yeah. did that. And that's actually, that's actually my dream yep. is for someone to do something like I that know. for me, which is so kudos to right? Kevin. Like, I would want them. But I would immediately say, no, 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 I can't, yep. I can't go. And I, I wouldn't would want go. them Because I'd be so, I'd be like, kid. I feel too yeah. guilty. It's like, it's awful. You did what, Mel? I'd rather them take the kids and I get to stay home. Right? I thought about that too. <laughs> take the kids yes. to a hotel. <laughs> I'm like, you guys go to the hotel and I'm just going to enjoy but the he house would... to myself. I had the house to myself for two hours yesterday and I didn't know what to do with Well, myself. if I had the house to myself, I'd probably clean and do laundry. And he knew, and he knew I that. I haven't been home alone in months. Yeah. It's just like. So did you yes, go? I did. Like after I like had like a 20 minute conversation with him, I'm like, are you sure you're not mad at me? Because I felt so guilty because, and then it was like the second I got in the car, I was like, fuck those assholes. <laughs> like I was fine <laughs> as soon as I pulled away from the house. And it was like, I drove to the hotel and I, ch- and it was this really nice spa hotel. It's like in Ballantyne. It's one of the nicest hotels. And I didn't do any of the spa treatments. I walked in the hotel room and the door shut behind me. And I was just like, yeah, I needed this. Like, I wanted to cry. What did you do? Because. You get room service. Yes. I, you know what? I have so much to tell you about it because it was so uneventful. But seriously, like, I stood there and I felt like I could cry. And I just text Kevin and I was like, all I ever wanted my entire life was someone to understand me. And I said, and you did that. With one phone call, like you booked this hotel room. And I said, it's not even that you thought I needed a break. You took the steps to give me a break. And I was like, and I never thought I would have that. And I have that with you. Like it just, it hit me. And so I I got in bed, I ordered room service and I put on, I turned on the TV because I was like, I'm not going to do my phone or anything. And I put on, and there was a sex in the city marathon. And like for 10 hours, (laughs) I just watched it. I started when Carrie was with Aiden and I finished with Carrie with Big and it was amazing. It was so good. Oh my oh God. Oh my God. That sounds absolutely It was so perfect. good. And do you know, like I ordered room service and I didn't even cheat on my diet. Like I'm so, no. I was going to ask, how I was you do so that? proud of myself. I, so I called downstairs and I had it in my head. I was like, okay, if they have a really good dessert, I'm going to get it. 
And if they do, I'm going to order a healthy dinner. And I had already picked out like a healthy dinner because I'm going to splurge and I'm going to have dessert. And I called and I was like, the first thing I said, I was like, what do you have for dessert? And I was like, hi, Miss Robinson. (laughs) So then he reads it off and I didn't really like anything they had. And I was like, oh, fuck it. And so I just ordered the healthy dinner and I didn't even order dessert. And they, and so after I finished ordering, he was like, wow, you eat really healthy. It's like, I should follow that example. And I was like, do you remember the part where I asked what you had for dessert first? <laughs> 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 so we started laughing and he was like, okay, fair point. But it's, it's like, it's really, it's a testament to your willpower because, you know, normally you would order something that sounded okay yeah. to you and eat uh-huh. it anyway. Yeah. But you really wanted to save, yeah, the, I'd still, save that, that meal for something. It's exactly. Else. I was yeah. telling Eagle that this morning. I said it was the same thing that Mel had said. You know, I was like, I'm not breaking this for an okay cookie that might suck. Like, nah. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to plan. I'm, I am. I'm going to plan out my whole day. And the whole day, I'm just going to have all of my favorites. And I'm going to just fucking just. I said, I want to go on the alcoholics version of a bender with food. So I'm just, I'm going to get a really nice bottle of scotch and I'm just going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> scotch. You know what? I, um, I always think about that meal that we had at, uh, Foga de Chow in, um, was it Chicago or, uh, in Philly, Chicago? No, I think Philly? it was Philly maybe. <laughs> I don't remember. We went, we walked and yeah, I guess it was Philadelphia. In, in yeah. Yeah. Philly. Yeah. Uh-huh. And all the restaurants were, and we went to that we bar, the bar oh, that food Chow, was so was, good. Like, the truffle fries and the stuff and like the dipping uh-huh. sauces for that. I, I think about that. <laughs> I really do. I would break a diet. Yeah, for that. yeah. There's a couple of things for. I would and and that. But you know they what they had on the menu. So like I got like grilled chicken and vegetables and I had a crab cake and then I had like some Brussels sprouts and something and, and like a salad and I was like oh, that's fun. So. I know it was so great and like I ended up the next day I got a late checkout at two o'clock and so I just laid in bed this this marathon was still on so I just kept watching it (laughs) and I did I ever tell you about the time I saw Sex in the City being filmed I feel like maybe you have but maybe not on air I don't know I don't know I me and my friend were just like sat I saw they were filming something and we realized it was Sex in the City it was it's uh she lived in Clinton Hill in Brooklyn we sat on the hood of my car with hot chocolates and we waited for someone to come out and it ended up being Steve, Miranda, and baby Aww. Brady. And it was the episode where they were looking at the their first house yeah. in Brooklyn. Like they were moving yeah, to Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh-huh. so we the saw part, of the, part of the saga of when I was watching it yesterday was, I mean, Miranda's story is just so unsung, I feel like, to me, her and Steve, because it was very realistic, I thought. I mean, it wasn't necessarily like the fairy tale love ending like Charlotte and Harry, because they're my favorite. But I got to watch that yesterday. I got to watch when Charlotte got divorced from Trey and then found Harry and and how they fell in love. And I got to like see where Steve had gotten Marina pregnant and then they weren't they were broken up and then how they got back together and how they like loved their son. And, you know, it was just gosh, it was so like I was watching this show and I hadn't seen it in years. And I just thought, God, what how many great relationships and the dynamics. In one part, Carrie was with Berger, and he was such a piece of shit. Like I hated him. He was such a piece God, of shit. God, he was such an asshole. He was the worst. But it's so it's so it realistic is. because, like, you have relationships mm-hmm. like that where you're like, 
he's great one mm-hmm. minute, but like overall, and then I just yeah, stayed with him yeah. Anyway. And then he just and like just he like, couldn't ever let. And then he disappoints you like you. Knew yep, he would. <laughs> exactly. And he couldn't let her have her success, and he was super bitter about it. Like that she like the it was funny. She was teasing him about his book. You know that Berger was an author. He wrote a book, and the woman had a scrunchie in it. And she was like, nobody in Park Avenue is wearing a scrunchie. And of course, everybody is now. But you know, she was teasing him about it, and he couldn't stand it. He was so pissed off about it. He's like, what do you? want for dinner we eating it or not and she was like hey it was just a joke he's like yeah no like he just couldn't even let her give a thought on being a writer because she because she just wrote a little sex column and I was like how seen do I feel right now you know watching this show <laughs> god it was just it was so good it's, remember that it was a burger that, that got mad at her when she asked for no parsley yes she says she's allergic to it because she doesn't like the taste she of goes, it I'm allergic to parsley can you just not so like a garnish any like parsley. not a garnish not anything yeah. and he's like you're not allergic to it and she's like but I don't like it She's like, yeah, but if I say I'm allergic to it, then it definitely won't have parsley in it, and I won't have to send it back. And yeah, that. yeah. And he like couldn't, just but he let couldn't let her have it. Do it. He couldn't let her have that. Yeah. Oh, what an awful shit! No, he was I the worst. <laughs> Broke up with her own yes. person. Yes. Oh, and um, I got to see oh, uh, Samantha meet Smith. Let me tell you, he he really rose to the occasion. Wow. Uh-huh. Wow. <laughs> wink, wink. I know, but there's one um, part when she's yeah. like. They're doing something, and he tells her he's an alcoholic. He's a recovering alcoholic. And she's like, oh, I just lost my heart on. And he's like, good thing I still got mine. <laughs> I was like, I love this bitch. And then um, then she's like, go down there and make it up to me. And he's like, he's like, cool. <laughs> he says, cool. He goes down on her. Whatever happened to that I don't guy? know. I was wondering that, too. I, I was like, he made all his money in this shit. was just like, I'm done. <laughs> Smith He's like, Smith, right? Was it, it Smith? Well, Smith Jared. Smith Jared. Name was Jerry yeah. Jared. And so she changed it to Smith Jared because they played all those sex games with the last name Mr. Smith. He was the tax auditor, Mr. Smith. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was like the, the government spy Smith and all this stuff. God, it was just, I just was watching it for hours and hours and thinking, this is the best show. This show was so good. It was so good then and it's still so good now. And when Charlotte meets Harry... I just, oh. I love them. I was oh. like, there's no better love story to me because she's in the room and she's, you know, and he takes her to this bachelor pad, you know, for those who haven't seen it, it, it he's her divorce lawyer and she picks him because she's not attracted to him because there's another lawyer who's really hot and she doesn't want to come across as a bitch. So she hires a lawyer that she doesn't think is cute at all. She thinks he's ugly. And she's like, go get him. And so, but Harry has like worshipped her from the second he saw her. And so she's talking about moving apartments. He's like, oh, I've got this uh, bachelor pad you can come check out and come sublet. And she's like, okay. So he's showing her around and he's showing her the room and everything. And he comes in and he's like, she's like, what are you doing? Put your, put your shirt on or whatever. And he's like, he's like, Charlie's like, your husband's a fucking idiot. And he was like, Trey's not an idiot. He's like, of course he was. He was a fucking idiot. Like a beautiful woman like you get away. He's like, he's like, my God, all I can think about is your lips. And he's like, I just want to put my hands on your body. And if I was lucky enough to touch you, I'd never let you go. And she's like, Oh, we're fucking. (laughs) And it's so good. And like, she's telling her girlfriends later at brunch. She was like, I slept with my lawyer. He's gross. He's sweaty and hairy. It's the best sex of my life. <laughs> it's just so good. Oh, it's so good. And I was like, I just need to do a Sex in the City podcast now or something. Because that goes along with the thing where they say, 
guys that aren't like super ripped and stuff are better yeah. than that because they're not exactly cocky. they're not cocky they, they they're gonna work for it they want to keep you around you said to me a while ago leah you were like have you ever had you were like but have you ever, she's like great like when you're all uh ripped and you're like in really good shape and a guy's yeah. in really good shape but have you ever had like a big guy come to you with his hat in his hand and ask yep like, exactly and i was yep. like yeah yes <laughs> Just, like can i please fuck you please let me let me put my dick in you Please. Yeah. Please. <laughs> yes, you yes, you can. I want somebody desperate. Brother, may yes, I? <laughs> I want someone desperate for it. There you go. So that was my weekend, uh, also, by the way. <laughs> I also booked a getaway. I tried to make it to the end of the summer. And I, How'd you do? Like, I, over the, <laughs> I just, over the weekend, I... I like hit a really serious wall and I, I was like, Pat, I gotta go. Wow, really? This weekend somewhere. too? You did? Me too. That's wow. so crazy. Yeah, we're all hitting it. It's the dog days of summer right now. I, tr- I mean, so anyways, we found a place that's within Long Island so that we're not traveling out of mm-hmm. state, you know, like our numbers in, in, in Long Island are really good right now. So we're like, okay, let's go somewhere. Let's be safe yeah. about it. But yeah. So we're leaving on Sunday and going for four days, just somewhere, just Good a little for break, you. mini break before before Mackenzie goes yeah. back to school. Because I like, I can't. I was like, I need to change the scenery. Yeah. I have to get out of this house. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, all I look at is my computer. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I can't. If I'm in the house, I'm working. Yeah, yeah. No, that's it. You can't help to actually physically. That's leave the same my thing my husband behind. said. I was like, I'd love to have like Mel said, I'd love to have the house to myself. But he knows me. He's like, you'll clean, you'll work, work you'll wash yeah. clothes, you'll you'll straighten up. He was like, you won't sit down because you don't do it when you're home. And I'm like, fair point. That is a very yeah. good point. I'd probably start. Yeah. Working so too. it's like yeah. you know the it, it was so quiet. It was so quiet. <laughs> I worked during those two hours actually when they left. Yeah. Last night. Okay. See, that's a perfect yeah. example of how <laughs> we've got in the, the. It was just so strange to me how much guilt I felt immediately when it was like, "Hey, take some time for you," and I was immediately like, "I'm not doing enough. Like, I should handle this better. I should be coping better, and and all this stuff." And I was just like, "Oh my god!" But it really was permission to just chill the fuck out, and it was so nice. That was great. Uh. No, so I went to Barnes & Noble, I got a new planner, and I spent like an hour going through them because I'm insane, but I posted up on Instagram, I said, "Here, who here spends an hour picking out a new planner? And 72% of the people said yes, like I put a yes or no option, and I was like, you are my people. And I was like, those are the people I'm after because I, I don't know why, it has to be perfect, it has to be exactly the type of thing that I want, and then when I get it, I feel really accomplished. So I did that, I got a planner. For the next year. That's great. I wish I could do I wish I could be a planner person. I like it drives me nuts that I can't. I'm like a, I'm like a scrunch a bunch of stuff into the calendar. Yeah. Uh-huh. Squares yeah. person. And well that's, that's what it. I do that's too. I do to so like this is my yeah. one I've been this is the one I use like every day now. It's just got like I have like stickers that mark my periods and uh shit like that. And then my new Do you get crazy when you're on your yes. period by the way? And then I have this one, this is my big one. This is my new one. It's she's she's a thick girl. That's pretty. Yeah, I definitely get crazy on my period. Why do you think my husband sent me away? <laughs> Are we synced? Because it's my I'm on my period Aww. right now too. I get like it's weird. It's like I spend three weeks being totally fine, and then all of a sudden I like I start analyzing everything that happened. Like when I get my period, I start <laughs> analyzing everything that happened for the last three weeks, and then I get angry mm-hmm. about it, and I get angry at people, and I it's like. And then I'm just like resentful for like three days. Does do you get like that? No, like I get I get really bitchy, but I think it's just 
my hormones. I don't. I don't think it's. In, I get overwhelmed. Do what? I said I just get overwhelmed. overwhelmed when you have your period. Do you think it's because you're emotionally overwhelmed? I don't know. I just get over. Like if somebody does something wrong, I'm just like, well, that's like overwhelmed. I'm so overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> Mel just she just does a really heavy sigh. <laughs> <laughs> so overwhelmed. <laughs> I'm not a very expressive person yeah. when it comes to emotions. I'm just kind of. But yeah, it's just a sigh. <laughs> I, I rage a lot. So I get really angry really fast and I can't control it. I'm, I'm in a cloud of anger for a couple of days, usually before I get it. And then once I get it, I'm fine. But it's usually that hormone. And then I have it with a massive migraine. Like usually the very first day I get it, it takes me down. I actually got it Saturday morning when I was in the hotel. And I was really thankful I had a late checkout because I got my period. And I had stuff with me because I knew it was coming. But... I had just a massive migraine, and I stayed in the bed and just turned the TV on. And I was like, well, this worked out. <laughs> so I have an email here from a lady listener. Let's have it. Hey, y'all. I absolutely love the podcast, and I just had to sh- uh, a couple of things to share. I've been really into the Enneagram stuff for a while Oh, nice. Now. Yeah, the, the test the we test took. We okay. Took. And she's a four. Um, and she said she recommends uh, the Sleeping at Last podcast. Uh, there's a song written for each of the nine types, and it, he has a full episode about each one. Uh, and then she also says, this is more podcast related. I really love Ella Goody's female, female novel. Oh, yeah, yeah. To be honest, that book helped me come to terms with being bisexual. So that's cool. If you were looking for more female, female content, I think Erica Lee would be a great option. Thank you so much for making this podcast. You make me proud to be a part of the romance community. That's so awesome. awesome. I love that. Thank what a you. great email. I know. I love it. I love getting emails from ladies. I love that female, female book. It was so hot. That was my first one. So hot. <laughs> okay. So getting back to Tracy Lauren, we have a book this week called uh, Bride Worth Fighting For. And it's, uh, it's, it's an alien hero. I love it. Which we love. But she has a book. This really interested me. So I was going through her Amazon author page this morning, and she has a book about a troll. What? I mean, I like that a lot. (laughs) I was shocked because I read the I read the title "Tamed by the Troll," and I went, "Yeah, oh, (laughs) wait a minute." Because I actually really do like books where the the hero isn't a (laughs) troll. Yeah, yeah, I really do like books Uh like that. Um, so anyways, this book is called Tamed by the Troll. It's the first one in her Parish Wood series. I'm going to read you guys the blurb for it. Once the belle of her village, life took a dark turn for Adelaide upon her parents' death. Plagued by lingering grief, there was not a soul who didn't turn their back on her. They called her angry and spiteful. Hell, they called her a monster. One fateful day, Adelaide finds herself alone, lingering on the edge of the Parish Woods, a cursed and evil place. Without warning, an orc army attacks. Her village ablaze, Adelaide races into the parish woods, seeking refuge in a place of nightmares. With orcs at her heels, she's desperate to escape, but when the young woman crosses an aging stone bridge in the middle of the cursed forest, she's met with an even more fearsome enemy, a troll, one who's determined to save her. So I'm really into that. I love a troll. <laughs> I, <guess. laughs> I just, just want to know, is he small know. or is he full-sized? Oh, no, he's big. Yeah, like, he's, like, he looks like a big giant oh. on the cover. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, yeah, no, I'm interested like a, in this now. Like, 
I'm I'm vagina curious. <laughs> I'm vagina curious as well. We we should do a buddy read of the troll. I know, though, right? Troll. Yes, taming the yeah. troll. Tracy Lauren is on Kindle Unlimited. Is that correct, Mel? Do you know? Do you have any? Yes, I believe so. Okay. So if you're a Kindle Unlimited user, go check out what Tracy Lauren has to offer. She has a lot of um, kind of fairy tale-ish type books, but she also has an alien series. And uh, this book is one of them. It's called Tamed, uh, or sorry, A Bride Worth Fighting For. So we're going to go ahead and play the first half right now, and we'll catch up with you guys on the other side. Bye. Bye. This is Fighting For His Bride by Tracy Lauren. Read for you by Lee Allison. Chapter 1 Seraph I'm sweating as I stride down the tight corridors of the Muggin spaceship. It's hot as hell in here, even hotter than it is on Epoch. Exposed pipes hiss and the shoddy lighting system blinks and flickers. The stench is oppressive, and I think it might be coming from the Mockin' crewmen leading me to see Umbrin. Don't get me wrong, I enjoy a ship with a little character, something rough around the edges. But this place, you can see the lack of care that goes into it. And that I can't abide by. I know exactly how hard I work for what I have. So even if it isn't much, I respect the shit out of it. The Machin don't share the sentiment. They were gifted space travel far before their time and haven't earned a damn thing since. Now they take what they want and prey on the less fortunate to get it. I've got to get them out of my damn system. The crewman I'm following stops before a dented and abused metal door. He slams his fist against the access port, and it's a wonder the damn thing doesn't break. A moment later, the panel scrapes rather than glides open. The crewman and I scowl at one another as I pass. Then I'm in Umbrun's command center. It's not much to look at, though neither is Umbrun. Seraph, the slaver says, is more greeting than I offer him in return. We need to talk, Umbrun. This Machin, he's a monster of a creature. Ugly in my humble opinion, with thick leathery skin and jagged tusks protruding from between fat, wet lips. And there's a bit of wiry hair on his head, having no rhyme or reason to it. His legs are like the trunks of trees. No boots fit a mockin's foot. And yet that still doesn't stop him from putting crusty, flat-bottomed feet up on his desk. Umbrin's ears twitch, a sign of agitation. Yet he keeps his expression cool. We do need to talk, the slave master agrees. I've got a cargo hold filled to the brim with prime fighters. They're new to the scene, but vicious things. Mark me, you'll be chanting their names before the end of... The season's over, Umbrun. There aren't going to be any more events on Epoch until next year. Besides, you know damn well you aren't allowed to bring slaves onto my world. Calm yourself. I won't release them until it's time to go to the arena. That isn't the point, I grit out. The point is safety, my people's safety, which is why I don't run things loose with the Machin. Get too relaxed and they might consider the idea of turning some of my citizens into unwilling gladiators. Then we'd have an all-out war on our hands. They stay in orbit unless we have a scheduled fight. That was the deal. So we schedule a fight. That's what I'm here for anyway, old friend. My jaw tightens. Umbrin isn't a friend. He came to Epoch, the capital of my system, when we were in need. 
A drought had hit, crops took a beating, food stores were low, and livestock were dying. All we needed were a couple more seasons to turn the tides. I could have reached out to Isleria, but we colonists have our pride. My people would starve before taking a hand out from homeworld. It's freedom we want, independence, and I'll be damned before I do anything to keep us under another government's thumb. So when Umbran offered a deal, I took it. He built a small arena outside of town where we could host a few fights, and in exchange, we got rations for my people and feed for the livestock. It was enough to hold us over until we could get on our feet. At the time, it sounded like a good idea. An opportunity, perhaps, to make a few creds and bring travelers to our little backwater planet. And that'd be good for the merchants and traders, right? Wrong. The arena brought an unsavory element to Epoch, and no one here wants that. A little entertainment is all well and good, but we don't want the mocking pissing all over our town and what we're trying to build here. And we certainly don't need them kidnapping their next round of gladiators from our farms. Epoch voted Umbran. My hands are tied. The people don't want year-round fights anymore. Bah, post an event and the people will come. And my ass will get kicked out of office for going against the community's vote. Umbran scoffs. You have an office? You're the governor of nothing but a dusty pile of rocks, Seraph. Dusty pile of rocks or not, this is my system, and it's my job to enforce what the people demand. The slaver drops his heavy feet to the floor and leans back in his chair, assessing me. What kind of stupid Etha would vote against fight pits? I shrug. Mothers? People who don't want to see this place go to shit? Umbran curls his lips as if my suggestion leaves a sour taste in his mouth. Mothers, mothers. He tries the word out for size as he rises. That's your problem, Seraph. The females on this world need to be put in their place. Why would you even let them vote to begin with? My jaw tightens and I clench my fists, trying to keep my cool. Male or female, my people have rights, and no fucking slaver is going to question that on my soil. Like I said, my hands are tied and the people have spoken. Umbran snorts out a laugh, as if such a thing holds no value. They'll allow a fight season, but you can't show up on my doorstep with a cargo hold full of slaves. That was never part of the deal. I built an arena for you ingrates, Umbran counters, ears twitching as he jams a fat finger in my face. And we had a contract. We agreed to a finite number of fights, but no more than that. And Epoch has met the terms. Seraph, people love a good fight. My people love their farms. Umbran scowls, shaking his head in disgust. Look at you. I'm offering a gift and you spit in my face. Come back after the harvest is over. Umbran growls, lurching forward. I need the creds now, Seraph. His eyes are wild and sweat drips from his brow. Still, I've got no sympathy for him. If he's gotten himself into financial trouble, it isn't my problem to solve. Only thing is, I don't like how irritated he's becoming. Scenarios are already running through my mind. I can't rock the boat with a desperate slaver, lest he create problems in my system. No, I certainly don't want to make an enemy out of Umbran. The heat in here is oppressive, and I run rough hands through dusty hair. 
It's wet with perspiration and getting far longer than I like to keep it. What's the story, Umbran? I'm in the hole, Seraph. You know what that's like. I shake my head. Still not my problem. Don't you give me that look. You're the fucking governor. You tell the people there's going to be a fight, and they'll fill that damned arena. My arena. Like hell it's yours. You've been paid twice over and you know it. You come crawling to me in your time of need, and what did I do? I helped you. Crawling, I scoff. Let's be honest, Umbran, you helped yourself. You did it for the creds, not the people. Fuck the people. I worry about me and me alone. And that's his fatal flaw. That's why I won't entangle myself with the likes of Umbran. He's a true slave master through and through, caring about no one but himself. I hold my hands up, done with this conversation. There's nothing more to be said. Wait, you haven't even seen what I'm offering. This is going to be big. This is going to draw a crowd. I cut my hand at him, disinterested. You've got a cargo hold full of nobodies. You said yourself they were fresh gladiators. There's one? I'm going to make a name for him. Potential like you wouldn't believe. He's the next hero Vascana. I stiffen at the mention of the name. Hero, the retired gladiator, has been living on Epoch with his bride for many months now. They've both become dear friends to me. Family, almost. It's a moot point, Umbran. My people don't want... The slaver slams his hand down on his desk, desperation in his eyes. You haven't even seen what I'm offering. Fumbling for his calm, Umbran issues some sort of command. But I'm already headed for the door. Get your slaves off my world, old friend. I'm done here. Turn your back on me now and you'll regret it, the slave master grits out. I round on Umbran, narrowing my eyes at him. That sounds like a threat. I don't need to make threats. Not when you see what I've got. Umbran's beady eyes glint at me, and I swear I can see the evil in them. Just then the door behind me grinds open, and it's followed by an even more unnerving sound. A whimper and it cuts me to my core. I turn in time to see the foul-smelling crewman shove a female into the room. Wide-eyed, she looks from me to Umbran, her face ghostly pale with fright. There's terror in her gaze and bruises on her arms. Immediately, I recognize her breed. She's human. Chapter Two Evie Aliens I've been abducted by them, plucked from my dreary little desk job life on Earth. It's only been a week now, but I've already been bought and stolen. What could possibly come next? My heart races when an alien drags me from my cell. He reminds me of some kind of hippo-alligator mashup, with decidedly terrifying results. I want nothing more than to cower in his presence, but the time for cowering has long since passed. The alien's hands are rough. And when he touches me, I've got no doubt in my mind. He's entirely willing to hurt me if I don't comply. I'm shoved in front of him and forced to march down the labyrinth of spaceship corridors. I can feel his presence behind me, urging me onward. My hands are shaking, and I'm terrified of where he might be leading me. Still, it's not like I can make a run for it. There's literally nowhere to go. 
Fate has been on my mind over the past few days, and I think it won't be long until I meet mine. I'm weak from dehydration and being half-starved. Not to mention the fact that I've hardly managed to sleep for the past seven days. Sure, I nod off, only to jerk awake from a nightmare, scared to death that someone's coming to hurt me. And these guys are entirely capable of hurting people. I saw what they did to the alien who bought me. They blew his brains out just so I could be stolen, and I still wear his blood spatter on my clothes. My captor wordlessly steers me around a corner. There's a long hall with a door at the end. Already I hear muffled shouting coming from inside. My heart pounds a little harder. Everything in me wants to run in the opposite direction, but there's no getting through the alien at my back. I stop outside the door. Whatever's going on in there sounds heated. My adrenaline spikes as the chamber opens. A callous hand pushes me into the room. I nearly fall flat on my face, but I regain my footing at the last moment. Slowly I raise my chin to face these new beasts. I recognize them straight away. Umbran. He's the alien who killed my previous owner. Not that the death weighs heavily on my mind or anything, but it taught me what Umbran is capable of, and it's a lesson I won't forget. I suck in a breath, still scared of him, and cut my eyes to the other alien. I haven't seen his type before. His skin has a fine pattern to it, like the smooth underside of a lizard's belly. Is he scaled? His flesh is a whitish tone, as in snow white with the exception of deep purpley hues on his chest and shoulders. Even the tips of his hair are tinted lavender. And I don't mean to make him sound like a gentle flower, because he isn't. This guy is built like the Hulk on steroids, with mean-looking spikes down his forearms and along his jawline. He's tattooed, too, with a wild tribal design scrawled across the majority of his bare chest. He wears a gun on one hip and a big knife on the other. He's dirty, sweaty, and he looks like the type of criminal who'd rob his own mother. There's no lesser of the two evils in this room. This new alien scowls at me, his brows drawn down and eyes narrowed. He breathes in deep, and I notice twin slits on either side of his nose. I can practically feel his hardened gaze as he assesses me from head to toe. The urge to run rears up again, but I hold my head high. There isn't anywhere to go, especially not if this is my fate. The fuck is this, Umbran? He growls, his spiteful gaze never leaving me. I want to shift on my feet, but I stand with my back straight as Umbran laughs. It's an unnerving sound. This is what's going to make my gladiator famous, Umbran tells the purple guy. I have no clue what he means, and I think purple guy might be on the same boat because he finally focuses his gaze on Umbran, a look of angry confusion on his face. My fighter, Varanox, he's the next big thing, Seraph. I'm telling you, he's going to be famous. Fuck does that have to do with this female, Umbran? Sheriff shouts causing me to jolt. There's going to be a tournament, here on Epoch. 10 games and the winner gets a goddess. Seraph waves his hand at me. This is a fucking human, Umbran. There's no such thing as goddesses. I don't give a damn what she is. She's worth a fuck ton of creds. You can't even find her kind on the underground markets anymore. She is valuable, Seraph. She'll bring a crowd. And when people see Varanox fight, 
I'm going to be rich. Seraph paces back and forth, running his hands through filthy, sweaty hair. His eyes keep locked on me, and he looks fucking pissed. How'd you get her? Stole her, which is why I need creds and fast. I take care of that little problem, then focus on the bigger picture, making a name for my fighter. A tournament? Seraph asks. Umber nods. Ten nights of fighting. Winner gets the female. I swallow hard. I'm going to be tossed to a gladiator as his prize? Seraph stalls his pacing and glares at Umbrin. One night. Fuck that. I didn't risk my neck stealing this thing for one fucking night of fights. Word won't even get out in time for Varanox to garner any fame. Seraph crosses his arms and looking up at the ceiling, drags his teeth over his bottom lip. I can feel the anger coming off of him in waves. Two nights. Who the fuck you think you're dealing with? Two nights. Seraph reiterates in a heated growl. And I fight the forerunner in the main events. Umbrin draws back, his wide lips spreading across gnarled tusks. You will fight? The great Seraph is coming out of retirement? Seraph advances on Umbrin, squaring off with a murderer. My heart pounds against my ribcage. Don't get things confused, Umbrin. I don't want you on Epoch. I don't give a fuck about Varanox. I'm in it for one thing and one thing alone. What's that? Sheriff's sharp gaze snaps to me, his expression cold and blank. I'm in it for the prize. My heart sinks, and I wonder if I'm staring into the eyes of fate. Make whatever arrangements necessary. Tonight is the first round of the tournament, and when I win, she's coming home with me. She goes to the winner, Umbrin argues. It's a good thing I plan to win. The winner of the tournament as a whole, you backwater fool. I win tonight, and I take her as my prize. Then when I win the second round, I'll keep her for good. Seraph's tone is too cutting to argue with. Besides, I can see as well as Umbrin can. This alien means business. Umbrin's ugly mouth breaks into a grin once more. Deal. I'll make the arrangements. It's been nice knowing you, Seraph. It's a shame Varanox is going to kill you. Unimpressed, Seraph strides to the door. I think he's going to leave without another word, but he looks over his shoulder with severity. Take better care of my prize than you do your ship, Umbrun. For every bruise I find on her, I'm going to take it out on your gladiator. Umbrun's only reply is laughter. And I stare after Seraph as he leaves, hanging on his last words and praying to God they're an indication he isn't a total monster. He doesn't look back at me, though. He just pushes his way past my alien guard and disappears down the grimy hall, leaving me alone with a killer. Chapter Three Evie Don't bruise her, Umbrin growls as his crewman rips the dirty, blood-stained clothes from my body. It's painful, and the fabric digs into my skin as it's torn off. She's got to look good for the crowd. I bite back any scream or whimper that's building in the back of my throat and squeeze my eyes shut, refusing to cry. She's dirty, the crewman grunts. I can feel their eyes on me, but it's like they don't have the first idea of how to remedy the problem. 
I guess these guys don't bathe. Wanting to be clean, I clear my throat, gearing up to speak. Even with the translator they gave me, it'll be the first time I've uttered a word since my abduction. My captors haven't exactly been chatty with me. If you have a wet cloth and a hairbrush, I could clean myself. My voice comes out quiet, tentative, and they're met with silence. I look up after a moment, trying to gauge Umbran's reaction. He doesn't look like he's going to murder me, so I go on. I mean, if you want me to look good for the crowd. You heard her? Umbran grunts. Get her a cloth and brush. A brush? The thing they use to groom the livestock, Umbran clarifies. A sense of recognition washes over the other alien's face, and he leaves the room only to return a short while later, tossing supplies in my direction as well as a wadded-up ball of fabric. I hurry to shield my naked body with it. But the Mokin don't seem to pay me much mind, and they leave me alone to tidy up. I haven't had the chance to clean myself since my abduction, and I nearly weep as I quickly scrub the cool, wet cloth over my skin. It's such a small thing, but I have the feeling I'm going to start cherishing the simple pleasures in life. No doubt they'll be few and far between. As good as it feels to clean myself, I don't want to be naked for a second longer than I have to. I shake out the fabric wad the Mokin left me with. It's something like a dress, if I arrange it right. The thing is long and gauzy, not really my size. But when I tear off one of the strips of loose fabric on the skirt, I'm able to tie the waist off so I look fairly presentable. Then I move on to the hairbrush. The bristles are packed with some kind of animal fur, and I grimace as I tug it out, fearful of alien lice. Who needs that? But it seems fairly clean when I'm done, and I run it through my tangled locks until all the knots are gone. When all is said and done, I feel better than I have in a week. Chapter 4 Evie Destiny comes calling a short while later in the form of Umbran and a dozen of his crewmen. I hurry to get to my feet as they open my cell. Hateful hands shove me forward until I'm at their leader's side. I've been nothing but compliant. There's no reason for them to be so rough, and yet they are hatefully so. It's like I'm lower than an animal in their eyes. I fall in line next to Umbran, almost completely unsure of my role. Everyone strides with purpose, and I struggle to keep up. The mood is severe, and my greatest fear is of making a misstep. Replaying Umbran and Seraph's conversation in my head, I'm probably reading more into it than I should. But I'm scared, and I need to know what they want from me. Nervously, I cut my eyes to Umbran. All I see is a callous murderer. I don't want to give him a reason to be angry with me. Preservation. It's about preservation at this point. I muster courage. Is there something you expect from me? I ask carefully, trying to sound as meek as possible. Umbran's lips curve downward into a frown. I just want to make sure I don't do anything wrong. Umbran's features relax. Tournaments are fun. Might as well enjoy the show. It's a fight? Umbran laughs. It's more than a fight. And I'm the prize? I wince, feeling foolish. I mean, the winner gets me. That's right. What are you called? I'm so scared, I'm not really sure what Umbran wants me to say. Human, or does he want my name? Evie, I venture. There will be two tournaments, Evie. 
Tonight is the first. We reach an open hatch with the ramp and my eyes go wide. We've landed. I didn't even realize we were on a planet. Though that might explain why Seraph was sweaty, shirtless, and covered in dust. People are flying in from all over, Umbrin continues, as we make our way down the ramp. Slowing to a halt, I gape at my surroundings. I'm on an alien world. The thick hide on the back of Umbrin's hand knocks my chin, and I close my mouth with a start. He motions up toward the sky where I see dozens of spaceships descending. Everyone loves a good fight, Umbrin explains. Especially out there when there isn't shit else to do. My attention goes back to the planet. It looks so much like Earth. I get this strange sense that everything might be okay. If the sky can be blue and the plants can be green, how different can the rest of the world be? This is going to be a big one, little goddess. Why's that? Two reasons. He reaches over and tugs at my auburn locks. I'm offering a coveted prize, and my fighter Varanox will make his debut by killing Seraph. I nod, not really caring about anyone's life but my own at the moment. After the fight, I'll be staying with Varanox? That's what I really needed to know. Varanox will not fight until the final round of the second tournament. Sarah fights tonight and he will win. You'll remain with him until the next event. But don't get too comfortable, Evie. Varanox will beat him in the end. I nod. What's it really matter who I end up with? They all seem like murderous villains to me. Moment to moment preservation is all I can muster the energy for. So tonight I watch the fight and go home with the winner? Who will likely be Seraph? That's right, clever creature. Now, try and look pretty for the crowd. Umbran puts a heavy hand on the back of my neck as he leads me through a town. My eyes devour every bit of this world. Aliens of all kinds roam the streets. Most of them look like Seraph. Big, tough guys with whitish scales burned violet by the sun. They've got shaved heads, dirty faces, and tattooed bodies. Despite all the alien features, I somehow feel like I've fallen through time and landed in the Wild West. The buildings are made from roughly hewn wood, and I swear I see a saloon. The only thing missing is horses. Instead, there are these crazy bird buffalo creatures. And rather than wagons, there are floating robotic flatbeds. It's like a mashup of a sci-fi flick and a spaghetti western. Ahead of us, a massive crowd is filing into what looks like not much more than a high school football stadium surrounded by chain link. The amount of people is overwhelming. Bodies push and shove at each other, and the mockins surround me, using the shafts of long guns to keep the crowd at bay. The sheer number of people is suffocating. But eventually they part for us, and we cut through the gates, heading up to the main stage. I take in everything from bleachers to bullpens. The crowd is deafening, and I don't bother trying to talk with Umbran again, not that I have any desire to. I'm pushed to the front of the stage, and a scowling Machin points at a spot on the ground, as if he expects me to remain there. So I stand on my mark and don't move a muscle. Eventually, the stands are packed, and the sun sets on this alien world. Bright floodlights fill the arena, and the crowds stomp their feet in excitement. It feels like the whole planet is trembling. I look back at Umbran. He seems to be enjoying the festivities. Food and drink is abundant, and my stomach growls. 
but I don't bother asking for anything. Not when my fate is hanging in the balance. Chapter 5 Seraph Stay to the shadows, I tell my friend. What does it matter? Hero asks. Let's not have Umbran see you there. I don't want him to get ideas about enslaving my citizens. Hero scoffs. Let him try to enslave me. The great Hero Vaskana. Champion gladiator. Retired champion gladiator. Full-time husband and father now. Umbran is certainly no match for him. The fight rages in the pit. Beasts mindless with hunger relying only on a predatory instinct. Claws rip into flesh and the crowd thrills. Neither hero nor I are concerned, however. Tonight is about drumming up business and getting people talking. Tonight, I will win. It's the final tournament we need to worry about. That's when the small human's fate hangs in the balance. Any word on Vernox? I ask. Nothing from any of my contacts. He's new. Inexperienced? I grunt. There's nothing to worry about. Except for her. I point to the human on stage. I don't know her name, but I've met enough of her to know I can't turn my back on her. She'll be yours before the night is through. I stiffen at Hero's words. Yes, she will be mine. The second I saw her, I knew it would be so. Like when my Ollie was orphaned and in need of a home. Hero scoffs. Do not compare her to an animal once you've got her. I cannot imagine it going well. I grin, thinking of the bride Hero has at home. A human, just like mine. Purity is a kind female, and a vision when she holds their young baby in her arms. I'm going to make that one my bride, I confess. My mate will enjoy having another of her kind here. I gaze at my female, my bride. I had always imagined myself settling down, but there's never been anyone to draw me in, who I could imagine spending all my days and nights with. Yet when I saw this female, in Umbran's clutches, I knew I'd keep her. The fight in the pit draws to a close and a corpse is dragged out. The main event is next. If I fail, rescue her. I look Hero in his yellow eyes and the seasoned gladiator scoffs at me. Obviously, he'd rescue the human in my place. His wife would never allow otherwise. My name is announced and I watch my own bride as the crowd roars in anticipation. Her expression is tight, fearful. It makes me wonder if Umbran and his crew have harmed her. I recall all the bruises I saw on her arms and the memory heats my blood. It's exactly what I need pre-battle, fire in my veins. I'm bound into the pit, eyes locked on my female, willing her to know I will save her, that she should have no fears as long as I am here. Her gown catches on the breeze and my heart clenches at the sight. I may not believe in the mythos, but no one in this whole damned arena can tell me that my bride isn't a goddess. The gates swing open, screeching metal against metal, and my opponent steps forth. A male. I don't know his breed, but he stands a head taller than me. He's got a thick neck and makes an ungainly lurch forward with every step he takes. Size alone makes him something to contend with. He's covered in weapons, swords, knives, axes, favoring nothing in particular. All I have are my twin blades. Hell, that's all I need. I look for weak points. 
He's got eight eyes that he aims not at me, but at my bride. A hissing noise escapes from deep in his throat, and thick ropes of saliva stretch from his lips until they plop heavily into the dust. I see my bride recoil, and that's all I need. I attack, keeping my blades close and my form tight. As anticipated, my opponent does not employ the same strategy. He's too big for grace, and he swings his heavy limbs like clubs. I'm far too agile. I dodge every one of his blows, and yet with every swipe, my blades connect with his flesh. He fatigues quickly, and we both know the fight is already over. I knock his feet from beneath him, and he hits the ground hard, sliding across the unforgiving dirt. I'm at his back in an instant, blades posed at his neck. But I do not kill him. The fight is won, and the crowd erupts in cheers. I step clear of my opponent and search for my bride, but Umbrin hobbles in front of her, shouting a command at me. I don't have to hear his words to know what he's asking. He wants me to deliver a death blow. I scowl, ready to refuse. I've won, and now I want my bride. Just as I'm about to go retrieve her, I'm struck from the side. It's a hard enough blow to toss me halfway across the arena, and I get to do my own slide through the dirt. It takes a moment to recover from the hit. Then I'm on my feet, leaping for the gladiator. I tackle him to the ground. My blades are gone, but he's got more than enough to share. We roll through the cloud of dust we're kicking up, and the arena is filled with collective gasps. I see a flash of blades, and this turns into something different. There are no rules to this fight, no etiquette. We're fighting to the death. I block a silver blade, limbs tangle frantically. A bellow cuts through the night, and my opponent collapses atop me. The crowd is thrilled. Fucking Umbran. I rise to my feet and run my hands through sweaty and dust-matted hair. The soulless Machin. He's laughing and my poor bride stands frozen like a statue in the same place she's been standing all night. Umbran has offered her no seat, instead displaying her like a trophy. Angry, I stride to the stage and vault atop it. My bride trembles, her face a sickly shade. I've only seen it on a human twice. Once when Hero's bride Purity came to Epoch, heartsick without him, and only again when she gave birth. My little human is clearly not in labor, so the alternative must be. I look back at the gory mess I left in the arena. Hell, I look down at myself, covered in dirt and blood. Then I look to Umbran, still laughing in his seat. The fucker. Still, the prize is mine. Even if she isn't thrilled about it. I never make a good first impression anyway, but she'll realize soon enough that the deal I'm willing to offer is far better than any fate she'd find with Umbran. I glare at the Machin before I stalk over to my bride. It's too loud to hear a damn thing over the roar of the crowd, so I look into her eyes, golden like the setting sun. Then I toss her over my shoulder. The whole world seems to reverberate with the thrilled cheers coming from the arena. I've claimed my prize and I'm ready to take her home. Chapter Six Evie The bloody gladiator tosses me over his shoulder, and if there ever was a time to fight, this would be it. Unfortunately, I just watched him murder an alien the size of an elephant, and frankly, the odds are not in my favor. My heart pounds so hard in my chest that I can hear it over the deafening crowd. Barbarians. They loved it.
They thrilled over the death of the other gladiator. And don't get me wrong, I didn't want to go home with him, but I also didn't want to watch anyone die. Seraph carries me from the arena, exiting out the back. It's dark, extremely so without the blinding lights that shone down on the fire pit. Yet regardless of the pitch black night, I have an idea of what lies ahead. Stables. I can smell the telltale stink of animal shit and hear something like the huffing breath of a horse. Only there aren't horses here. Just those massive alien bird buffalo with tiny wings that flap in irritation. I'm scared. Umbrun killed a man so he could steal me, and Seraph's basically done the same only with an audience cheering him on. So what happens when he gets me to those stables? Does he throw me in the alien hay and rape me? And what could I do to stop him? Seraph kicks a gate open. I jolt, choking on a scream. I've been compliant so far, and it's kept me alive. So whatever happens, no matter how bad it gets, I guess that's my strategy. Shame is heavy in my heart. I'd like to think in a situation like this I'd be brave and heroic. But when it all boils down, I'm just not ready to die. Reservation. Seraph swings me around, setting my feet on the ground. He keeps his palm on my back, but only for a second as I steady myself. Then he busies himself digging through a weathered pack. It gives me a chance to study my surroundings. There are lots of animals in here. In the distance, I see a few guards, and even further still, down past the arena, I can see the crowd headed back toward town. Should I run? I look at Seraph. His eyes are locked on me, and there's something of a smile on his lips. Doesn't seem menacing, but who am I to judge alien expressions? I return his gaze, watching him as he straps leather guards around his wrists. How are you? He asks. And honestly, what the fuck kind of question is that? How am I? I gesture wildly at the surroundings, but then bite my tongue. Fine. I'm fine. Hungry? I shrug. I could eat. Good, me too. Come on. Seraph grabs me by the waist and lifts me up onto one of the bird buffalo things. This is Ollie, he tells me. The animal has a long neck like an ostrich, but the hardy body of something more bovine in nature. Useless fluffy wings flap against my legs. I'm uneasy up here, not quite sure where to grip. But a second later, I'm stiff as a rod as Seraph climbs up behind me. I'm fitted against his chest, and one of his hands goes around my waist, steadying me against him. My eyes go wide and my mouth clamps shut. Reservation. Chapter 7. Evie. I have expect our ride to start with a giddy up, but instead Seraph makes a tut-tut noise with his tongue, and Ollie breaks into a wobbling trot. I squeeze my legs tight since I still don't know where to put my hands. But Seraph can read my body language as he holds me a little closer. It's terribly awkward. Still, I don't feel an alien hard-on poking me in the ass. So I suppose there are things to be thankful for. Ollie trots along and I notice we aren't heading in the direction of the town, but instead out into the dark night. I want to ask where we're going, but what does it matter? They hurt you? Seraph asks after a while. I shrug. It's relative. I suppose it is, but relatively speaking, did Umbran or any of his men hurt you? They scared me and kept me in a prison cell, 
but no one beat or raped me if that's what you're asking. He grunts. You've got bruises on your arms. They were rough, but that's it. Seraph grunts again, accepting my answer, then points out into the darkness. There it is. There what is? I narrow my eyes, trying to see what he does. Home. Okay, so he took me home with him. I have a feeling things are about to get scary again. Seraph hops off Ollie and reaches for me. The animal is giant. So rather than fall to my death, I accept his hands and let him help me slide down. Which is how I find myself face to face with my newest alien captor. Only this one's holding my hands and gazing into my eyes like he's waiting for a goodnight kiss. What's your name? Evie. Evie. He says it like it's something to be savored, and I shift awkwardly on my feet. I am Seraph. I know. So, you've heard of me? He asks, waggling his eyebrows. I scoff. No, I heard Umbran say it earlier. Ah, oh, well. Seraph shrugs, unfazed that his reputation has yet to reach Earth. Let's get some food in that belly. And the guy actually pokes me in the stomach before turning and heading toward his home. The familiarity of his touch shocks me. Or maybe it's the simplicity of it. I mean, I just watched him kill another alien, and here he is booping me in the belly button. I hurry after Seraph, because what else is there to do? Make a break for it on an unfamiliar alien world in the middle of the night? Even if I could manage to escape, what other dangers lurk in the darkness? No, it's better to stay here and try to play my cards right. Closer to the house, I can see a dim light in the windows. Is someone else here? Like who? I consider his question and cross my fingers. Your wife? Seraph grinds to a halt and gives me a lopsided grin, just before he swoops me into his arms. I gasp in shock, heart pounding furiously as Seraph kicks open the door and carries me over the threshold. I'm sure he's going to attack me after that, but he sets me gingerly on my feet. Did I do it correctly? I stare at him wide-eyed, smoothing out my dress in an effort to compose myself. Jesus, do what right? That is how it's done on your planet, is it not? A male carries the female through the doorway the first time he brings her into their home? I gape. Where did you hear that? How do you know about human customs? I have met a few human women. There are two here on Epoch. And they told you about carrying a woman over a threshold? I'm trying to make sense of all this information. There are humans here. The thought both excites and relieves me. To know there are people here who have experienced what I've been through. I want to find them. I need to talk to them. Maybe we can escape together? Not exactly. I was present at their weddings, though, and both asked their husbands to carry them into their home. Husbands? Yes. Faith and Ryland came first, followed by Purity and Hero, who recently had their first child. You'll meet them soon, Seraph assures, heading deeper into his home. I take the opportunity to look around as Seraph builds a fire in the hearth. It's hotter than hell during the day, but the nights get cold, especially for your kind. I study the room, expecting it to be cold and foreboding like the Mockin spaceship. But it's just a rustic cabin. There's a stone mantle, a well-worn rug on wooden flooring, 
and tools spread haphazardly along a rough-hewn coffee table. Seraph catches me eyeing them. I'll have to be tidier, he says, sweeping them off the table into a crate and setting them aside. Why? Because you'll be living with me. I remember what Seraph said before to Umbran, that he planned to keep me for good. The wheels in my mind start turning. He knows human women who are married to alien men. Is that what Seraph thinks is happening here? Did he just score himself a bride? In the scheme of things, it doesn't sound too bad. Seraph is big and strong. He'd protect me, I hope. And there are other humans on this world. That's a huge plus in my book. As long as my gladiator doesn't hurt me, I might be able to make this work. I assess him from head to toe, wondering if he expects me to seduce him. I'm not sure if I'm ready for that. I suppose it might not matter, though. If this alien wants sex tonight, there's not much I can do to stop him. The fire starts crackling, brightening the room. Seraph gazes at me for a moment, and I think this might be it. But he simply smiles and heads through a doorway. I hesitate for only a moment before I nervously follow him. Where is he leading me? To a bedroom, maybe, or some type of cage he intends to keep me in? Turns out I'm way off. It's a kitchen. A simple country kitchen. Except for the fact that it has ultra-modern alien appliances, of course. Other than that, there are normal kitchen things. A sink, cupboards, a counter, and a bowl on the table filled with fresh fruit and vegetables. It all seems fairly normal considering what I've been through over the past week. Seraph punches a few buttons on one of his appliances, and I hear a whirring noise. Shortly after, he's setting a steaming bowl on the kitchen table and offering me a seat. My gaze whips from him to the food, and when he nods encouragingly, I hurry to take a seat. I'm ready to dive headfirst into this meal. Only problem is there's a chopstick on the table next to my bowl rather than a spoon. And don't get me wrong, I can work a pair of chopsticks, but it appears there's just the one. I look around helplessly for its mate. My mistake, Evie. I forgot. Purity and Faith like to use two. Seraph retrieves another chopstick from a drawer. I take it happily. This is the first meal I've had besides the nasty protein bars the Machin feed me. Wordlessly, I begin shoving noodles into my mouth as Seraph prepares a dish for himself. Do you like it? He asks over his shoulder. Yes. I hurry to swallow, worried that I've offended him. I like it very much. Thank you. Purity and faith enjoy this dish as well. It's considerate that he thought to make it for me, I reason. I'm scared of Seraph, and all aliens, really. But he's the first who's shown me any sort of kindness. So I push myself to maintain the conversation. Faith and purity are the other humans? He nods without looking up and gives me an opportunity to watch him more closely. I'm in awe as he eats noodles with a single chopstick, unable to fathom how he can scoop up anything at all. You'll have to teach me your way of doing it, he says, motioning toward the utensils in my grip. Yeah, and vice versa. Seraph smiles at me, and the rest of the meal is eaten in silence. Every time I look up, though, I catch him watching me. Anxiety builds as I wonder what I'm going to have to do in exchange for this meal. When both our bowls are empty, Seraph washes the dishes in the sink. I rise to my feet and nervously smooth my dress out again. This is it. Self-preservation.
I'll do whatever it takes to stay alive. Seraph dries his hands and gives me his warmest smile. I think it's time for bed. I nod and drop my gaze to the floor. Hot tears fill my eyes, but I blink them away as I follow Seraph back out into the front room and down a short hallway. There are three doors and Seraph opens one of them, reaching in to flick the light. There are extra blankets in the chest if you need them. The muscled alien rubs his hand over the back of his neck and I stand in the doorway, staring at him, wondering who's going to breach the room first. But Seraph just points out the first door in the hall. That's the bathroom. We'll have to share it. I'll try not to be too messy. My mouth opens, but I'm mute, with no clue what to say. Let me know if there's anything you need. And with that, Seraph turns and opens the door to what I assume is his bedroom, directly across the hall from mine. I'm totally lost. I don't know what Seraph wants from me. I search for clues in the things he said. Do you want me to be your maid? Seraph cocks his head to the side, looking at me curiously. A servant who cleans your house for you. Recognition washes over Seraph, then dismay. Absolutely not, Evie. You're something else entirely. What? He gives me that curious look again, like I should know exactly what he means. You're my bride. Seraph scoffs out a little laugh before ducking into his room. Make yourself at home. He shouts from the other side of his closed door. I gape, looking from my room to his. I'm more confused than ever. He calls me his bride, then leaves me alone in the hall? I bite my lip, worried I'm misunderstanding. The last thing I want to do is make Seraph angry. But then again, he's in his room with the door shut, and I've been offered the guest bed, which I stare longingly at. Maybe he'll be mad at me for not servicing him, but right now, all I want to do is sleep. And on that note, I duck into my room desperate for a good night's rest. Hey, lady listeners, we're back. Hey. How about that first installment? <laughs> so good. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, okay, so like we said, Tracy Lauren is uh, comes highly recommended from one of our favorite people. And uh, she has an Alien series. It's helpfully called the Alien series. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's awesome. That makes things easy. She's like, this is the be-all, end-all of Alien yeah, series. Yeah, she's like, it's I'm the Alien series. It a fancy just, name. just Google yeah. that. You'll find me. Yeah, I like it. Smart, smart marketing. <laughs> Go to readmeromance.com and enter to win uh, her giveaway. I'm not sure what it is yet, but it's going to be good. <laughs> and... And go check us out everywhere on social media at, at Read Me Romance on Instagram. We're on the Re- Read Me Romance headquarters on Facebook. And I think that's it. We'll be back on Friday with more. Do you guys have anything? I think that's it for right now. I'll have to figure out what day right. of the week it is. I'll let you know on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Leah, tell them what to Fuck do. Fuck your day up. Make today your bitch. Don't be a dick. Bye. Bye. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. Read me romance, read, read me romance You could take a look in a book, that's fine Or you could sit back, relax, and unwind And read me romance, read, read me romance